Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was, out the tr was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted the inhabitants of the lands. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from all the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule in the house of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them. For great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. They were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the fifteenth year of the reign of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil they had brought, seven hundred oxen and seven thousand sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name's Eric. I am one of the pastors here at Trinity. And we are at the very end excuse me, of a series in the book of Chronicles. We've got one more left. Next week, we'll be looking at the story of Jehoshaphat. But we've been in this series for about 10 or 12 weeks. In a couple weeks, we'll be transitioning to a series for the season of Lent. That series will be focused on questions that God asks us throughout Scripture. But with Chronicles, the series we've been going through, it's been called Renew. We started it back in September. Chronicles, the reason we called this series Renew, because it's a book that was written to bring hope of spiritual renewal. It's a book that was written to a specific people at a specific time, and it was a time when Israel was struggling with a lot of disappointment, a lot of disillusionment about God and about life, and they were facing a lot of difficulties. It was, historically speaking, the time that's known as the return from exile. Israel had lost their place in the land, but they had returned. And there was a lot of hope. The prophets had said, this is going to be an amazing time. But when they returned, reality set in, and there were all kinds of difficulties and disappointments. So Chronicles was given to them. It was written to them to ignite and it's the same for us. Today we're looking from the story of King Asa. We're looking at the story of King Asa in Chronicles, and it highlights something for us that is needed for all spiritual renewal and growth. 
something that's needed for us to find and live out our place in God's purpose, in God's mission, and that something is courage. This story is all about courage, and it's meant to be read that way, I think. Right there in the heart and the hinge of the story, if you look at where the paragraphs break, we see verses 7 and verse 8. This prophet comes to Asa and says, take courage. And in verse 8, it says, as soon as he heard these words, he took courage. And what resulted from this call to courage and Asa's acts of courage that followed was a massive renewal and a massive spiritual revival. And that's described for us in verses 8 through 15. It says, they found great joy in seeking God with their whole desire. He was found by them. And he gave them rest all around. And the turning point in this story, how did they get there? Was through courage. And that's how courage is often presented in Scripture. It's the thing that leads to a turning point. It's the thing that moves us into renewed faith, a renewed sense of purpose and our place in God's mission. A few examples. Moses in Deuteronomy... He said to the people, take courage before they, were ent- before they were going to enter on to the next phase in their journey to the promised land. And in the next book, in the book of Joshua, there's a transition of leadership and Moses says to Joshua, be strong and take courage. This is a turning point in leadership. It's a repeated theme in Chronicles. David says to Solomon, I'm giving you this task of building the temple, so be strong and take courage. Later on, we see Jehoshaphat in a renewal of turning from idols to the worship of God. We see Hezekiah, who was under an Assyrian siege. He's told to be strong and take courage, and at that point, there was a, there was a turning point, and God delivered Israel from that siege. So courage is often called for throughout Scripture when there's need for a turning point, when there's need for a renewal. Courage is that thing, ultimately that gift from God, that gets us unstuck, that overcomes our inertia, that leads to these turning points in our faith. A couple definitions of courage. What is, what is courage? Here's a dictionary definition. Courage is defi- can be defined as the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Here's the way that I would define courage after thinking about it this week. Courage is doing what you're afraid to do, facing what you don't think you can face, enduring difficulties you don't think you can handle, or choosing something that you know will be hard. Instead of avoiding, instead of running, instead of freezing or giving up and going away, courage is that thing that happens within us that says, I'm going to move into this. And often in Scripture, when the call is made to take courage, to be strong, there's a companion expression that goes along with it in the Hebrew. Often it says, be strong, take courage, don't let your hands droop. And that's, that's a picture with the hands are drooping of giving up, of being resigned, of giving in and getting stuck. I've shared this before. I was reminded this week as I was studying this passage 
that there are at least three pieces, three components to any turning point in our life. When God is doing something in our soul, when God is moving us out in mission, I think there are at least three points. There are three, three pieces and parts to that. There's conviction. We have to sense this is, this is the right thing to do. This is true. That's conviction. We're convinced that something is right and true. But then there's calling that needs to come with that. Now, not, not only is this true and right, but this is true and right for this situation as God is calling me to act and God is calling me to move. But conviction and calling isn't enough. We might say, and you've probably had this experience, I know what the right thing is to do. I know what is true. I think God is calling me to do something. I think God is calling me to move and take action, to step into this thing. But I don't want to do it. It's going to be really hard. It's going to entail sacrifice. It's going to cost me something, so I don't know if I can do it. And what gets us to step in and overcome that inertia is the third part, which is courage. When we say, yes, I'm going to act. I'm going to step into this. I'm going to keep going. So Asa's story tells us a lot about courage. I want to look at three things that the story tells us. One, the need for courage. Two, the source for courage. And three, the marks of courage. Why do we need it? How do we get it? And what happens when we exercise it. First, the need for courage. From Asa's story and the story of Israel under his reign, we see there are two times in our lives when we need courage. One, when things are going really good, times of comfort. And two, when things are not going good, times of trouble. Okay, so I'm saying we need courage all the time. Let me show you this from the text, that courage is an everyday virtue for a Christian. It's something we need every day. Times of comfort. Let's talk about the context as we're jumping right into chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, and the reign of Asa. It covers three chapters. If you have your Bibles, you can see it covers 14 through 16, the time and reign of Asa. To get a sense of the timeline, Asa is the third king after King Solomon. In Solomon, Israel was enjoying peace and prosperity, and times were really, really good. After Solomon, we talked about him a few weeks ago, there was Rehoboam, and things started to fall apart. Things started to break down. The kingdom was divided, and things were not good under Rehoboam. Under his son, Rehoboam's son, Abijah, things got a little bit better, but overall, the scriptures are kind of neutral when it comes to Abijah. But when we come to chapter 15, verse 1, when we come to the reign of Asa, things were going really really well for the king and for the people. In chapter 14, right before this, he begins his reign with the spiritual reformation. He says, we're going to remove all these other places of worship to other gods and idols. He told the people to seek God alone in, in verse 4, chapter 14. It tells us the land was at peace. So he was expanding his territory. He was building new cities. They were doing a lot of real estate development at this time. It was a good time. And in 8 through 15, it tells us that Judah won this battle where all odds were stacked against them. The Ethiopian army came out, says it was a million strong, and, and Israel had 300,000. So whatever the numbers were, it was three to one. 
And somehow Israel came out victorious. So spiritually, economically, militarily, everything is going really good. Asa and his reign, it's a time of great comfort. But right then, the Spirit of God moves this prophet named Azariah. He comes to Asa, and he comes to all of Judah and Benjamin, just as they're settling into their comfort zone. And he comes and he says, take courage. Be strong. And they're probably all wondering, why? It's really good right now. It's really comfortable. Courage is not needed and not necessary when everything's comfortable, right? If you're in Hawaii on a vacation, you've been snorkeling, spending time on the beach, enjoying good food, eating your sushi, and somebody comes up to you and says, Take courage! Be strong! You'll say, Thank, thank you. I'll remember that when I go get my massage. Thank you very much. I'll be very courageous. This is a very strange and unexpected time for God to send a prophet with this message. Be strong and courageous in the Bible is a message for people who are about to face a challenge. The journey into the promised land. Joshua taking over leadership. Solomon building the temple. But here God sends his prophet to a comfortable people. And we ask, why? I think the answer is that courage is needed to face the challenge of comfort. Courage is needed to face the challenge of comfort. Whenever you read a king or a people throughout the book of Chronicles, when they become strong, when they become established, when things are successful, when there's wealth and prosperity and peace, then right on the heels of that, you read about pride settling in idolatry. Instead of seeking God, seek other things. So verse, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15, when we have that context, it makes sense of the challenge that times of comfort, there is a pattern we see unfolding in Scripture and I think in our lives as well. Instead of living in relationship with God, look at verse 3. We settle into thinking, I can live without God. Maybe I don't need him. Instead of seeking him, we seek other things and we forsake him, replace him with the idol of comfort. So in Orange County, for us, this is a great challenge. This is a comfortable place. That's why we're here. That's why we love Southern California. Comfortable weather, 79 degrees in February, all kinds of good places to eat comfortable homes. We want to make sure our kids are comfortable. We struggle with helicoptering them and rescuing them anytime things get uncomfortable in their lives. This is a comfortable place. And there's this unspoken thing that happens in our hearts. I think it happens in your hearts because it happens in my heart where when we're praying, when we're considering what it means to follow Jesus, what this life is all about, there's this voice, there's this thing that happens and we say, surely God wouldn't call me to do anything that would be uncomfortable, would he? You may have heard people talk about two zones in life. There's the courage zone and the comfort zone. As long as we're in the comfort zone, we won't move into the courage zone. I think that's true, that the counterpart to courage is not only or primarily fear, but the counterpart to courage is comfort. 
And so we need that prophetic word of Azariah to speak into our comfort. Take courage. Take courage, people of God. There's something better than living for comfort. Following Jesus, Jesus calls us to a lifetime and a lifestyle of choosing hard things, of laying down our lives to serve other people, of dying to self, of stepping into situations that are beyond us. And what Chronicles says is when we follow him there, there's joy there, there's rest there that no amount of comfort can give us. Times of comfort, we need courage. Also, we need courage in times of trouble. Would you look with me at verses 3 through 6? The prophet describes a time. It says, this is a, this is a time that there was, the people were without the true God. They were without teachers. They were without the law. It was a time of distress. In those times, it says there was no peace. There was great disturbance. There was affliction. They were broken to pieces. They were troubled. What time is he talking about here? What time is this? There's not a complete consensus on this among scholars, but most scholars say, well, what time fits this period best? It's the time of the judges, which is a part of the story of Israel. It's a time before the kings. It was marked by these cycles, cycles of forgetting God, experiencing all kinds of affliction and brokenness and trouble and crying out to God. And God answering. And the cycles just got worse and worse, and they spiraled downward. But no matter how bad it got, no matter how far down the spiral went, God always answered. He was always found when his people sought him. Now, why did this prophet bring up this part of Israel's story here and now? I think he was saying, you're very comfortable now. Things are going well, but this cycle is a part of your story. It's a part of the human story. Trouble and brokenness will come. Sometimes it's the result simply of living in a broken and fallen world. Sometimes it's the result of our own choices and our own actions. And the point is when those troubles come, we will need courage. And we can take courage because God is at work in all of our trouble, in all of our affliction, in all of our brokenness. And there are two specific ways that this text shows us this, two ways. The prophet says trouble is actually where we find God. In verse 4, the cycle of Israel and humanity, it's most often in our distress. It's most often our affliction that causes us to turn to God. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain." And that probably has a lot to do with how we're listening in our pleasure versus our pain. It says, the prophet says, they sought him and he was found by them. And one scholar of Chronicles says, the whole point of these verses is to show God's intention to be found. That God is actually seeking us in our trouble. That we might find him there. That doesn't explain away our trouble or our suffering, but it does give us courage to face trouble knowing when we seek God in trouble, He will be found. Trouble is where we find God. Trouble is also where we learn to seek Him. Fifty-six times in the book of Chronicles, the verb seek or seeking 
is used. It's one of the major themes throughout the whole book. Sometimes it's used for seeking or inquiring God for wisdom, but the vast majority of the time, the object of the seeking is God, God himself. Um, Chi, while he was up here, was mentioning last week's visit with Anand Mahadevan, and Last week, after he spent time here on Sunday, Eric and I got the chance to spend a lot of our Monday with him, and we were just learning all about India. We're learning about his ministry and his church in India, and we were talking uh, about the modern practice of Hinduism. I was very curious. I'm, I'm half Indian, and just very curious to know more about kind of the insides of how a lot of my relatives might think and work and what their uh, devotion or practice of Hinduism is like. And he, he said that for most Hindus, if they have devotional life or their prayers, or they believe that they should have a certain moral code anytime they spend at the temple and giving, he said, and any of that, it's all about seeking God or seeking the gods for what they want in life from them. So you do these devotions, you're praying, you go to the temple, you give, and it's all about gaining the blessing and the favor of the deity. And what he said, what happens, especially for the folks that he is in relationship with in the professional world, he says, when, that, when life brings trouble to them, when affliction comes their way, when brokenness is experienced, they say, this isn't working. Well, what's the point of my devotions and my prayers and, and giving and going to the temple? And most of the time, he says, they become atheists or practically they become atheists. And Eric and I were listening to him talk, and we were thinking, that sounds a lot like American Christianity from our pastoral experience. If we're practicing our moral life, our devotional life, our prayers, our giving as a way to seek something from God, when trouble comes, that's when we find out what we're really seeking. Are we seeking what we can get from God, or are we seeking God himself? One of the main lessons of Chronicles to the post-exilic community to whom it was written for us is that when times of trouble come, our first instinct will be to come and to seek God for an end to the trouble. That will be our first instinct. God, end this trouble, and God will meet us there and can meet us there, but if we stay there, we'll miss how God uses our trouble to teach us to learn to seek Him. It's this lesson Paul shared when he was in prison, the book of Philippians. He said to them, it is my eager expectation, he was writing to the Philippians, and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul said in his trouble in prison, he learned to say, to find the courage to live a life where Jesus is not a means to an end, that Jesus is the end. That's the need for courage. Just to summarize, in times of comfort, we see God not comfort as God. We choose discomfort. In times of trouble, this passage says, seek God, not just an end, to your trouble. Both call for great courage. How do we get that courage? 
What is the source of that kind of courage? The answer from the story of Asa is courage does not come from looking within. It comes from looking without. It doesn't come from looking to what's within you. It comes from looking at who is with you. When Moses spoke to the people in Deuteronomy, he said, take courage. He said, the Lord will go with you. When God spoke to Joshua and said, be strong and courageous, he said, I will be with you. I won't leave you or forsake you. When David called Solomon to courage, he said, the Lord your God is with you. When Hezekiah needed courage in the siege of Assyria, he was told, there are more with us than with them. The courage we need for faithfulness, the courage we need for spiritual renewal and mission comes not from an internal source, but always from an external source. Look at verse 2 with me again. The prophet doesn't come and say, take courage, you can do it. You're strong enough. He starts by saying, the Lord is with you. In the Bible, the call to courage is never about self-help. It's not a pep talk. But we're used to hearing all the calls for, for courage. We're used to hearing that call to be strong and courage, courage, courageous as a call for inner strength. Summon your inner strength. You can do this. But if at the end of this message, if this happens, if, if those who feel strong already this morning say, Oh, that was a good message, and they leave saying, all right, I can do this. And if those who come, and you're feeling weak this morning, you're not feeling strong, and you leave and you say, I can't do it, it's too hard, then I'll know that something didn't get through. Biblical courage is the exact opposite. Those who feel strong are meant to say, I thought I could do this on my own, but now I realize I can't. I need something outside myself. Those who feel weak are meant to say, I I thought I couldn't do it, but because God is with me, because I'm looking outside of myself, I can, I can endure, I can step into this, I can find courage. To, for God to be with someone, it's not just a general sense of his presence, it means his presence combined with his power, it means the God who made the universe, the God who upholds all things by the word of his power, he is on your team. It means we're picking teams here, and you get first pick, and you can pick God. He is with you. Okay, it's Super Bowl Sunday today, as Chi mentioned. So forgive me for a Super Bowl illustration, and please forgive me because this Super Bowl illustration is going to involve Tom Brady, if you're not a Tom Brady fan. Whatever you think of him, New England Patriots quarterback Tom Brady is amazing. He's an incredible quarterback. And it's one thing... For the coach, Bill Belichick, a New England Patriots coach, to say to his team today, right now, be strong, Patriots, show courage. We can win. We can do this. You are good. We are strong enough. We can win this Super Bowl. That helps a little. Pumps you up. You're like, yeah, yeah, I can do this. But it's another thing to say, take courage, Patriots. We have Tom Brady. And the truth is, that will fill them with more courage than looking at themselves. Because what will happen if today, in the middle of the Super Bowl, Tom Brady gets injured and he's out? <laughs> we have an amen somewhere out there. If that happens, you know the entire team's courage 
It will dwindle. It will shake. And they'll wonder, we don't know if we can win this. The point is, the source of courage in the Bible, it always comes from looking without ourselves, outside of ourselves, not within ourselves, at the God who is with us. But the book of Chronicles, this story has an unresolved tension. It's there for us in our text in verse 2. Look at it again. It says, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. Here's where we need to zoom out. We need to get the context of the whole book. This is the language of covenant relationship. This is the language in which Chronicles was written. On the one hand, Chronicles is a book of great hope because it says God is a covenant-keeping God. He will never give up on his covenant. He will never break his side of this relationship. But Chronicles is also a book with an unresolved tension because this cycle of verses 3 through 6, it's a repeated cycle throughout the book. The people break the covenant over and over again. There's times of covenant renewal like here. Chapter 15, it's great. It's covenant renewal. But the cycle of doing life without God, instead of seeking Him, seeking other things to replace Him and the people drifting to forsake Him, to worship other gods, it's repeated over and over and over again. It's repeated here in Asa's story, chapter 16. We don't have time to look at it. But instead of trusting God, he depended on a foreign army. He sold out God's Um, He sold out goods from the temple. A prophet confronted Asa, and he put the prophet in jail. And so he didn't end well. He was in the cycle. By the time we get to the end of Chronicles, they're just coming out of the worst cycle of all, the exile out of the land. The people had spiraled, just like the story of the judges, the people spiraled down into unfaithfulness, into abandoning God. And so the question at the end of Chronicles, the question we always have to ask is, what will end the cycle? God is always faithful, but His people are chronically, perennially unfaithful. How can we take courage when we know this cycle is at work in our own life? We can't live up to verse 2. How can God not forsake a people who keep on forsaking Him? How can he be with a people who are always trying to live without him? How can he find a people who aren't seeking him? The answer is not our courage. The answer ultimately is that it's only the courage of Jesus that can end the cycle. He fulfills the covenant conditions so we receive the covenant blessings. How? how? Well, the one who was with the Father from all eternity in comfort and glory, he left his comfort to be with us. When we tried to live without him, he entered in fully into our humanity to be with us. The eternal Son of God, who in his comfort and glory left to be with us, He came, as we already read, to seek and to save the lost. He went into the most broken places, into suffering at its worst, into oppression, into sickness, into the the den of sin itself. He came to seek 
and save the lost, even when we weren't seeking him. And in his greatest act of courage, the one who always enjoyed the love and the favor of the Father, he was forsaken for us. On the cross, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the right question. Jesus is the only one who lived, who didn't deserve to be forsaken. He was always faithful. The source of our unshakable courage is the courageous seeking and suffering love of Jesus. We can have great courage. Because of Jesus, we can rewrite verse 2. The Lord is with us even when we try to live without him. He seeks us when we are lost, and he finds us. He was forsaken, so we will never be forsaken. That is the source of our courage. What does this look like in our lives? I just want to close with a few marks of courage. What difference does it make if we're standing, if we're believing that the courageous one has saved us? When we believe God is with us and His presence, His power is for us, when we believe He seeks us, He'll never forsake us, our lives will begin to display the marks of, of gospel courage. So just a few points. Three points here. 8 through 15 shows us what renewal looks like. It shows us what happens when people take courage. And I just want to draw from verses 8 through 15 for a few practical points. First, gospel courage empowers us to put away our idols. It says in verse 8, as Asa heard these words, he took courage, he put away the detestable idols from the land of Judah. We can have courage to put away our idols, the things we seek security from, the things we seek life from instead of Jesus. When we have the courageous love of Jesus for us, the idols that we trust in that were so beautiful to us, we said, these things are great. They're going to give me security in life. They become detestable to us as cheap substitutes. Why would I hold on to this when what Jesus gives me is so much better? There's an example in the book of Hebrews at the very end, chapter 13, applied to the idol of comfort. There, the author of Hebrews says, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And the logic is this, because I know Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me, I don't need to trust in the safety, the illusion of safety and security that money and comfort, I believe, can give me. I can be free from being perpetually unsatisfied in the restlessness of trusting in my comfort. I have the courage to let go of it and receive the joy and the rest of contentment in Jesus. That's one example. It empowers us to put away our idols. Gospel courage is also meant to be contagious. Renewal and Chronicles here in chapter 15. Are the screens down or are they up? They're up. Okay, my screen's down. Sorry. Here in chapter 15, we see that a snapshot of what renewal looks like throughout the book of Chronicles. It's never a solo matter. It's never a private matter. It's always a communal matter. The turning points of renewal in Chronicles happen in community. They happen in gatherings. Asa needed the prophet Azariah to speak to him. 
Asa gathered the people and spoke to the people, and the courage was contagious. In verse 9, he gathered all the people. Those were from Ephraim, Manasseh, Simeon, Judah, Benjamin. People heard what was going on from northern Israel, and they said, I want to be a part of that. Kelly Capick is a theologian at Covenant College. He's written a book, a book called Embodied Hope. It's out of his own experience of his wife's chronic pain and suffering that he talks about where we can find hope. But in that book, he mentions that there's a twofold need for those who are discouraged, those who are suffering, who need courage. There's a twofold need. We need people to speak for us to God, people to pray for us. And he says we also need people to speak to us for God, to speak words of encouragement into our lives. He says, hope is not found through the power of positive thinking, but in receiving the promises of the word and the sacraments. So contagious courage requires two things. One, when we're not feeling courageous, when we're suffering, when, when we don't feel strong, we have to have the courage to be honest and vulnerable and say, I'm not doing well. I need help. I don't feel courageous at all. And on the flip side, it takes courage for us to be people who speak words of gospel encouragement, not just positive phrases, not just positive thinking, not just saying, I'll pray for you, but to speak words of truth, to speak the gospel into people's lives. Sometimes it can be awkward. Sometimes it feels like we're super spiritualizing things, but we need other people to do it, even the most simple reminders. God loves you. He is with you. The voice of another person speaking that into our lives. Powerful. Gospel courage is meant to be contagious. Thirdly, gospel courage leads to wholehearted commitment. This is the end. This is the grand finale of this whole chapter. In this gathering, with all their heart and with all their soul, they recommitted their lives to God. Verse 15, they swore with all their heart. They sought Him with all their desire. And if you look at verse 12, that might have caught your attention. It says, in verse 12, they entered into the covenant to seek him with all their heart and with all their soul. In verse 13, but that whoever would not seek the Lord should be put to death, whether young or old. They say that's intense, and it is intense. It's saying, it's a way of them saying, nothing takes precedence over God. It's less about policing others and saying, who's, who's not following this? It's more about saying, I want to have policing. I want to have accountability in my life. I need to remember this. Gospel courage says that because Jesus gave everything for me, because he was put to death for me, the death that I deserve, he deserves my wholehearted commitment, all my heart, all my desire. So let me wrap it up and close it, close this message. Is there an area in your life, maybe there's a place in your life where you're sensing conviction? This is the right thing to do. This is true. There's a place, there's a situation, there's a circumstance in your life where you feel like God is calling me to step in. It's going to be hard. But I sense the Lord calling me to move in. It doesn't have to be a great act of courage. It doesn't have to be something so profound, but simple places in your life where you need courage to have a difficult conversation, to enter into a strained relationship, to be more public about your faith in Jesus. A place of conviction, a place 
of calling. I just want to encourage you, take courage. The Lord is with you. If you seek him, he will be found by you. And because of Jesus, he will never forsake you. Amen. Let's pray.